learning what to do, what not to do, how to fix, how to understand. And when I need, had a question, I'd have to go find the answer because there was no support mechanism to teach me the answer. And so mm-hmm. I would call other people. I did a lot of training on asset manager, paid for courses when the APP Capital. Tim is one of the most authentic and genuine people I've ever met. Sincerely believe he's coming from a position of giving and that means a lot. You're going to make huge progress. Welcome to the Capital Raising Show. I'm your host, Tim Mai. Today, I have Trevor Thompson on the line with us. Trevor has a very interesting story, and he is known in the community. He's the only one, probably, that's known in the community as a professional passive investor. He has invested in uh, 16 deals as a LP, as a passive investor, and three deals as a GP, as an active syndicator. And, and yeah, he've also done a lot of different types of deals, everything from multifamily to retail strip malls, to uh, townhome, to condo conversion, um, to uh, ground up multifamily, to medical office building, land development, um, yeah, just a host of variety of different uh, asset classes and different stages of the class from ground up to already existing. So I'm really looking forward to interviewing uh, Trevor today to get behind his mindset and his experience on what he likes, what type of assets he likes, uh, why he goes into so many different um, you know, asset types. And uh, so, yeah, su- super, super looking forward to this a professional LP, professional passive investor. Welcome, Trevor. That makes me sound like I'm extra smart if I'm a professional, but uh, I've definitely done a lot and I've definitely done a lot of research and of course been in such a variety of deals. Yeah, that's I, I love that about you for sure. So let's, why don't we start out with, if you can share with everybody a little bit about your journey on how did you yeah. get started in real estate investing? What got you even interested in this? Yeah, so just a quick brief story. I'm originally from Canada. I've been in the attraction and entertainment business most of my life. My last career was with iFly Indoor Skydiving. I did 20 years with that company. I loved it. And actually, the very first team meeting, the owner gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read the book and went, wow, this is amazing. I got to think more about this. And then I did exactly what everyone else does. I got busy with my life and I just kept working my job and not paying any attention to becoming somewhat having a second passive income, doing different things. And then we got bought out by a private equity company. So I actually Mm. got a payday and I thought, okay, no excuse now, but I hadn't really done any homework. So I started doing the, I call them the weekend warrior guys, right? Like they come to town and you join their seminar and, you pay $50,000 and we'll teach you how to buy an office building with a credit card with no money down. And I'm like, something about this doesn't sound right. And I went to a few different ones and then I did find one. And what I liked about them is they were based in Texas. They invested in Texas. They had monthly meetings so I could go meet the people I could connect. So I joined that group mm-hmm. um, and did my first few investments with that group. And clearly I learned a lot of doing it that way. Their training was a little basic. They were really good at single family and decided to get into the commercial space, mostly just because they they had a lot of people in their program that wanted to invest their 401k money and their IRA money. And so they thought, we'll create these syndications, it will be good. But since then, I've done a lot more self-education. I've joined other mentoring programs Mm -hmm. uh, just to fulfill my knowledge base. But I'm one of these people that I'm obsessive about things. So once I start learning, I just, I I love learning. I love going to meetups and I love connecting with people and doing things. So I just kept learning and learning more about the space. That's awesome. Wow. And when was this that you started? I started five years ago. So I guess that would be, what is it? 2018. That's awesome. Okay. And so you started out investing into these deals that that yeah. was in the group, correct? Yeah, uh, so correct. Sh- yeah. I did my first two investments with the group very quickly. To be honest, I was not educated. 
Um, were they big? Were they big deals, small deals? Like what size they, deals? One was uh, small, fifty-eight doors, and the other one was a bit bigger, at one hundred and seventy-six doors. I see. Um, but I invested in both of them pretty quickly. And I'll be honest, I read the PPM, but I didn't really know what I was reading. I I, I didn't know what I know now, of course, because mm-hmm. I've invested in a lot of deals and learned different things. And there were definitely, in hindsight, some things I should have noticed about the deals. So one of them, everybody knows if you're going to buy anything in Texas, insurance and taxes are going to go up significantly. So mm-hmm. the one deal, both things went up significantly and it just ate all the cash flow. And oh, they wow. managed to sell and we got our money back. It was one, basically we got in, we got out. It was pretty quick. They got an offer that got everybody out with just their money back. And we all considered we dodged a bullet. And then the other one was a little bit different that they just didn't have enough money in their CapEx budget. They underestimated how hard it was to reposition a property. And that one I even volunteered as an asset manager for 10 months. I had some extra time on my schedule the way my work schedule was. So I said, hey, listen, I'm not learning anything. This is supposed to be a mentoring program. Could I help out? And so they said, yeah, you could help us with this and you'll learn a lot and do that. It was an interesting story. I did a whole other podcast on it. I started out, I was going to help an asset manager. And then I found out all kinds of things because I'm, I'm going to go there and do my due diligence. So I did a rent roll audit. I did a bunch of things and I found out what he was telling the owner were, were not the correct facts. I mean, there were people that had skipped apartments for three months and they were still showing them as occupied. And they were telling them we were 92% occupied, but our economic was actually 82. And wow. so I called the GP up and said, hey, do you want the truth? And he went, of course I want the truth. And so I told him the truth. So two days later, um, I wasn't helping an asset manager. He was gone. And then the, about six weeks later, they decided to fire the property manager. So here I found myself part-time, still with a full-time job, um, de- managing a deep value add apartment in San Antonio. And then of course, COVID came and it just became super challenging. We managed to stabilize the property. We had some disagreements about what we were gonna do once we put it up for sale, then the sale didn't happen. And then the decisions they made, I think, affected the business. And they, so basically they wanted to build the occupancy up. So they, they said to me, okay, two times income. And the only people you can deny are violent offenders and sex offenders. And of course, they accepted all the wrong people into the apartment complex, undid all of what we did, turning it around. It didn't sell. And then mm-hmm. they ended up having to deal with those tenants for another eight months and finally sold. Everybody got their money back, but nobody made money. The GP claims he lost money, but it was just a mess. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But uh, so, but, but so biggest so learning it, experience of my life. I spent right. ten months learning what to do, what not to do, how to fit, how to understand. And when I need, had a question, I'd have to go find the answer because there was no support mechanism to teach me the answer. And, So I would call other people. I did a lot of training on asset manager, paid for courses when the APT Capital with Kyle and Gary, when they were together, they did a training course and I signed up for their course. I read their book and I went to every meetup that an asset manager spoke at and Mm -hmm. just learned, what should I really be doing here? I've never done it. So I learned a lot. So the education side of that was priceless. And then one of the things was I got let go that year with COVID from work. And so I managed to switch my status to professional real estate status. Mm. And so I got paid a severance, but because I'd switched my status, at least I got my taxes back. So in theory, I made some money doing it. And that was when I decided, okay, I'm going to now switch to active, which isn't as easy as they say it is. But, but in between there, I've done a lot of passive investments. So I know we're going to talk more about those and why right. I chose that asset classes and things. Exactly. So I guess the good news on your first two passive investing deals is that you didn't lose any money on them, right? <laughs> you get your that's money correct. back. So at least that's a good news. Cycle, which was the um, apartment to condo conversion. And okay. it, even though it did really well with the real estate prices increasing, um, you bought an underperforming asset, you were going to turn them into condos and sell them. And then COVID and the eviction moratorium came. 
So you had an underperforming asset, you couldn't evict the tenants, and then the tenants felt empowered because they were only month to month though, and they were going to get kicked anyways because they'd all been given notice. So mm-hmm. they stopped paying. And luckily, I got my money out of that. I was what's called a preferred position, no upside. So I got caught up. They didn't pay any money for 18 months during COVID, but I got caught up, got my money back, made my 11% preferred return payment. So I was happy. And, and then finally, it was all done and everyone else made some money and got paid out. And that one I did just, I wanted to learn about that, see what it was like, but I don't think I got a good learning because I hope we don't have another COVID ever again. Right. (laughs) And all business conditions are thrown out the roof, right? Because you couldn't evict the tenants. Then when you could evict the tenants, you couldn't get a building permit because the city was still slowly opening. Then you couldn't get supplies because the supply chain ran out. Then you couldn't get workers. Nothing normal happened, but I was good friends with the guy that was managing the project. And so I got a lot of inside scoops about how much more challenging and what normally should happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's COVID definitely is an interesting time for sure. So the deal, so that deal made money itself and all the investors also made money. Correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And I know that was just your third deal you're sharing, but have you done more deals where you only got a prep and no upside? Yeah. So I've only done one more like that. And it was, it was in the medical center one and the medical center was just a straight 10% return, no upside, just a prep payment. And so first of all, I thought, okay, medical is very stable. I knew that the people that were doing it. And I mm-hmm. thought it was a really good place to put my self-directed IRA money, right? I'm okay in my IRA money to take what I'm going to call the safe path, right? Mm-hmm. And so just the pref equity. And I had no idea in medical centers, but not only does the doctor's practice guarantee the lease, they have to personally guarantee the, the lease too. So it's like mm-hmm. a double guarantee. So if this fails, you can still go in theory, take his assets. So very secure investment. And again, COVID made me much more interested in the medical space. And this is one of those offsites with a little emergency room, a dentist and some things. And so those things have thrived since COVID because the big hospitals, they just couldn't maintain the number of volumes of people. So a lot of people went to satellite operations. So I think it's going to be a great asset class and I plan to do more in it. Okay, good. And the interesting story, retail, I decided I wanted to do a little retail and a really good timing. We closed March 20th, 2020. So not a good time to close out a retail store, but I'll be honest, I managed to pay 5% cash on cash, which is nothing to write home about, but considering we weathered the pandemic and um, I have a call later today for this quarter's update to see what's happening, all things considered, I I consider myself very lucky. And I'm still quite interested in retail and I don't think it's dead. I think shopping malls are dead, but I don't think strip centers are dead, right? People gotcha. still going to restaurants in their neighborhood, still going tiff treats, going to the mm-hmm. karate place, going to, I think those ones are still going to do quite well where the big box stores and the shopping centers, they're going to still struggle, I think for quite a while. You can't change everybody's shopping habits to online and then change it back to going to a mall, right? When you got just used to pushing that Amazon button. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that that's definitely good to, to hear about that. And so moving forward in terms of the deals that you're only getting a prep, you're open to that. Is that correct? So if the deal makes sense, you'd still be willing to in, uh, passively invest just for the prep without the upside potential. Is that correct? It's not my preferred. I've, I've just done it under certain circumstances. Okay. My preferred investment is where it's a reasonable split between the, the GP and the LPs. I don't like deals that the first split is 60-40. I think that's too much. I'm okay 70-30, love 80-20, obviously. I'm on one deal that's 85-15. I like that one even better. Much more LP-centric, but it's in that range. And I also like to passively invest in deals that have a preferred payment. And for the people that don't know what that means, it basically means that the investors get paid first before there's, a, and then if there's enough cash flow to pay them the full 7%, 
then the general partners, the people running the deal, they also can get paid. So I think that really aligns the interest, right? Work really hard, make sure I'm getting my minimum payment so that you can get paid. Um, I like those kind of deals. And I also don't mind a deal when they hit a threshold. So they call that a waterfall. We don't want to get too complicated and technical. I'm okay if they hit a certain waterfall that the split changes, right? That let's keep them motivated to, to create at least, let's say a 16 IRR, which is what I look for and above. Um, that's what's most interesting to me is the internal rate of return. To me, that kind of balances out everything. At the end of the day, it's the normalizer of all investments. Okay. And so I'm curious for an operator, a syndicator offering an 80-20 split or an 85-15 split, that seems that seems pretty aggressive in the sense of they're not getting much for themselves. Uh, and so does that scare you at all in terms of like, why are they offering so much to the LPs, to the passive investors? And Definitely are they a newbie? Are they- like there was a deal that was offering a 12 craft. And I thought, man, the GP team's never going to get paid because it was a deep value add. It was a reposition. They're going to lose interest. So I completely just lost interest at the very beginning of the deal. But it gets a deal that kind of normalizes after the five years at about a seven to ten percent cash on cash return, and you're getting a seven craft. I look for a deal that can normalize, right? I want it to be about 18 months that the GPs will start making money, right? I want them to to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I certainly don't want to, I don't want them to lose interest in the deal. Exactly. Um, and that goes back again to trying to pick the, the right team, the right people to invest with, which is a whole other topic. But it's very important for me to have the interest aligned though is I get paid first. I want, once I get paid my reasonable, which 7% is a reasonable, it's not like a high, it's not 10 or 12 like the other mm-hmm. one. Then they can start making money. And then once we get stabilized and we get closer, they're starting to make money. And then if they achieve well, again, I'm okay if they double their money, right? If it goes, I was on one deal and it was 80, 20 and went to 60, 40. So the GPs would double their money if they hit a hurdle. And to be honest, I want them to hit the hurdle and double their money because that means I've met what they've said should be a normal return for the deal. I've exceeded what would be my normal return. That's good. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So let's 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 first dive into the numbers. Uh, you mentioned you like at least a 16% IRR. Uh, yeah. For those of that don't know, can you quickly explain what that means? Yeah, so it's a very complicated explanation, IRR, but I call it the present value of your money. In other words, it takes how long has your money been out there? Have you made or lost on your money? And at the end of this particular period of time, it assigns it a percentage, right? That you can have these things called average rate of return. You have cash on cash. All of those numbers are important and need to be looked at depending on where you are in your life and what Mm -hmm. you need out of your investments. So when I was working, I could care less about cash on cash. It was a nuisance to get the cash almost. Just give me some big money at the end. And, and I always do still like the multiplier of my money. But at the end of the day, that's a false number, right? Because if you double my money in 10 years, that's a very low internal rate mm-hmm. of return. But if you double my money in five years, that's right. a much higher internal rate of return. So at the end of the day, to me, it's the balancing number that kind of says, okay, how long have you had my money? And over that period of time, how much have you paid me, including what payments I've been made and what I made on the profit of the sale. Kind of averages out all of everything. It's like an equalizer of all the, the different numbers. And that's why I look at it the most. To me, it's the most important number to look at. Um, okay. Yes. Okay. So IR is the most important for you. Is the cash, like at, I guess at this time in your life, is cash on cash? Also, like more important now that I don't have a job before it wasn't important. And that's why I like to be in the seven prep position. So if there is cash flow, at least Mm -hmm. I get my 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 payment first. So I will make some money. I'll be honest, I'm in a lot of value add deals, and just one of them finally hit a seven percent payment. So listeners need to understand that a lot of value add deals, 
And most syndicators are fairly honest in it, right? I'm presenting a deal soon and you're really not going to catch up till about 18 months because it takes mm-hmm. about that long to stabilize a value add property. And then it starts to normalize. And But the thing I like about it is that if there is cash flow, I get my percentage of it first. Okay. And would you say that if someone's goal is to make monthly cash flow, then they should invest in a more stable property? That's correct. Uh, okay. Again, it's risk and reward, right? So if you want a stable cash flow, normally there's less risk, so there's less reward, right? Mm-hmm. So again, my medical one, it's a 10% prep. I get the same amount of my money every quarter in my bank account all the time, unless cash flow doesn't permit. So far, cash flow is permitted, right? So mm-hmm. again, if there's not enough cash flow to pay the 10, it accumulates and I get caught up. But on that particular one, there's been enough cash flow that it pays it all the time, right? So again, if you put $100,000 in the deal, you're going to get just less than $1,000 a month, which is just less than $3,000 a quarter. And hey, this money is pretty consistently coming to me. And right. that's very important that you need this money to, to live, right? A lot of investors, though, do have jobs, so they don't need the money to live. And they should actually not be taking the money to live. They should actually be reinvesting, right? Because that's how mm-hmm. they're going to really grow their wealth, right? That the, right. the compound effect is like a massive on real estate investing when you keep letting it reinvest, right? Um, but people do need cash flow to live. It's sometimes. Okay. Okay. You still got to okay. eat. Eating, eating comes first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Paying the bills. Yes. Okay. So you prefer at least 16% IRR at least 7% prep plus uh, whether it's 70%, 80% on the back end. Um, And then, um, uh, yeah, and then cash on cash, is there a percentage that your your goal is? I'm okay at the seven, right? If it's a deal with an upside, if it's a deal without an upside, then I think 10 is a fair number. Okay, So the 10% is a fair number uh, if, if there's no upside. There are a few deals that offer 12, but they scare me, right? And they scare me because the, the, the general partners have almost no hope of making any cash flow, right? Just because the nature of these deals do not spin off a lot of cash. The nature right. of all these types of real estate investments are to improve the basic business, take the multiplier of selling it on the, on the cap rate, and mm-hmm. there's where the big return is, right? So a lot of these deals... The return is still made on the sale or on the refinance. In other words, you've refinanced it, you've taken some money out. So for example, my storage investment, Mm -hmm. um, they have a recourse loan, but once they get up business, they get it stabilized, they're going to get a new loan and give us a percentage of what we invested back, but we'll still own, we don't get diluted when we get our money back. It's something that's very important for investors to understand they give you back half of your money. Do you only own half of what you used to own? And that particular one, when they double my money, goes to a 50-50 split. And I'm like, double my money, baby, double my money, because I'm okay with double my money, right? Faster, the better. And for them, faster, the better, because now they're, they they get significantly rewarded. Um, yeah, I like that. And, and, and investors should never be afraid of a win, right? You want everybody to make money. So when you have an operator that offers you 12% and you're like, ooh, I don't yeah. like the deal. You're yeah. not going to make any money. Do you let them know that? Yes. Okay. If, they, if I know them and they ask me. Or okay. if you send me a deal, I get some emails, 22% IRR. To be honest, I just hit the delete button. Um, really? My mama said if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And she's, okay. Uh, She's been pretty, pretty good at giving me life advice, right? And I just, I don't like, I like what I'm going to call realistic presentations. Like, the, don't be really low, don't be really high. You make me nervous, right? Okay, what now, where do I got to dig to find out is how are you going to give me 22 IRR on this deal? Okay, so uh, let's look at that. So what is the high, so on the low end, you want 16. What's the high okay. end that you be like, that's comfortable? So I'm okay if it just, in other words, I want them to say, hey, we're projecting we're going to get 16 IRR, but if we give you better than 16, we're going to take a bigger split 
and let's hope it's 18, 19, 20. I'm on a deal now. I don't even know what the IRR will, but it'd be insane. They're tripling my money in three years. Okay. Now that's happening just because the world's gone crazy, right? That's not mm-hmm. normal. People should, I, I'm not going to inspect this for my next 15 investments, but I'll take it. And it happened just because it's in an insane hot market in Tucson, Arizona. Um, they bought it at a great price. They managed to stabilize it. They managed to get a buyer before the world went a little crazy. They have had one retrade. We're actually supposed to be three and a half and it's gone down to three because they've had to retrade because of valuations and stuff have adjusted a bit. Still three times. That's probably going to be a 30 or 40 IRR, right? Um, wow. But it wasn't what okay. was promised, right? It wasn't what was promised. So- Two years to your money. So like in terms of the emails that you're seeing when they're sending out in their marketing, at what number do you delete? Is it 20%? Remember, first of all, I only pay attention to people I know and trust. Okay. So once I get to know somebody, I I look at their emails. To be honest, I scan down to the bottom. Always put your picture if you're going to send me a a thing to invest. I look, do I know this person? And if I don't, I hit delete immediately. I don't know you. I got on your list somehow but I don't know you. And then if I know you and I'm interested in looking at deals, which I'm not right now, so I'm hitting delete way more. And sometimes I attend webinar just for my own personal education, just to learn how are they presenting and doing it. And plus I like to follow certain people, which is something we'll talk about in a little bit, but actually talk about it right now. I okay. follow people before I invest in them. I go to your webinars. I listen to your podcast. I want to know, are you telling me are you only telling me the good stuff in your life? Like the, like you, you never have, you've never had a deal where you're struggled and I don't want to, I don't want to invest with somebody that can't be truthful. Mm. So, man, I had a deal, man, and it was a bear, but this is how we got out. Investors got paid first and all of these things. I like that honesty and it makes me much more willing to invest in that person. Mm-hmm. So there are a few. And then I also right now invest for opportunity. So I want to get to know people. So when there's people that I've connected with and I want to get to know them, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's like really very interesting what happens. So I invested in someone's deal who's a very well-known person in Texas. I also comment a lot on his Facebook post, and he always says, thank you, partner. And no idea the power that puts mm-hmm. over to me for this person to say, thank you, partner, right? I always joke, I own a doorknob on a new build. I probably own more than a doorknob. Perspective, <laughs> right? This is a right. you know, this is a 40, 50 million dollar deal, and I've got fifty thousand dollars in it, right? So maybe I own the kitchen or the bathroom more than the doorknob. But in reality, I, I don't own a lot of the deal, but just, but the relationship for him mm-hmm. to be able to say thank you, partner. And where and I see him at events, he always updates me on the deal. And uh, that's important. And and that was my first new build, right? So it's a new build in Houston area. They'll start leasing by the end of this year. Um, and I think we're going to do very well because they managed to buy most of the materials before the world went crazy. They got the land before the world went crazy. There were a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. So let's assume that they are someone that you already know. Maybe they're not like a, like a top operator where it doesn't matter what kind of IR they promise or, or they advertise you, you'll be in because you just know who they are. But let's say you know them enough to be willing to invest with them and they advertise. Uh, I'm trying to get to a number. So is it 20% IR that you're like, you know what? No, I'm I look for 16. Deal? I want it because I it's think like, okay. anything... I don't, you can make an Excel spreadsheet that says we're going to make anything, right? I don't want to work hard to disprove you. I want you to give me, like, we've got this deal. We've been, everybody says they've been conservative, whether they're not. I love (laughs) it when we've been conservative. Rents are going to go from 1,600 to 1,200. I don't think that's conservative, my friend. Look at the income in the area and it's $36,000 and we're going to go to $1,200 rents. You're nuts, right? So I look for things that make sense and reason, right? So here's the rent, here's the comps. We're going to come in a little less than the comps and be about here. And it's going to, and some people say, oh, we're going to achieve this in six months. You can't right. turn that, the leases get away from the. So I want somebody who's laid out a realistic plan, right? Here's right. our 18 months. So 18 months is a very realistic thing for a value add property, which most of my investments are to for to, to get it up to where you can stabilize it, right? Because it takes mm-hmm. time to 
fix the exteriors, take care of the deferred maintenance, turn the tenant base, improve the tenant base, increase the rents. Because you can't increase the rents if you, during the crazy couple of years, people were increasing rents without doing anything. But this isn't normal, right? We need to consider the world's going to go back to normal and right. want to make sure they have a good plan. Okay, that's great. So what other, in terms of numbers wise, because we are going to dive deeper into the operators, the people yeah. themselves, right? But so, so numbers I look for realistic CapEx budgets. So this is a deep value add and we have $4,200 a door. You're not going to do it. Yeah. Or do you have $8,000 a door? Or do you have $12,000 a door? Again, I like to look at the quality of property. Are they over-renovating, under-renovating? Do they have realistic numbers, right? I went to one webinar and they were like, they had $50,000 in their exterior CapEx budget. And I'm like, you can't fix anything for $50,000 on a 100-unit building. You got no money. And so what happens when you have no money? You take it out of cash flow. Who does the cash flow belong to? Me as an investor. Raise enough money to do the deal right. Have realistic numbers, CapEx numbers. I went to a webinar and they said we were going to add preferred parking. This was a series of fourplexes with four parking spaces in front. How are you going to make, I'm, <laughs> how are you, it's like there's only four spaces in front of a fourplex. How, how are you going to charge somebody to park in the only four spaces next to their unit? So if you were going to say we were going to put covered parking, okay, that's a whole different story. But they literally said, we're going to have preferred parking. And I Googled Earth the property and I'm like, this is fourplexes with four parking spaces. So verifying things like that are correct. Verifying that rent bumps are correct, right? So just doing some simple math, right? What is the, you can find the income of the neighborhood very easily on, on a Google search. Mm -hmm. And you don't want it to be anywhere near, you want it to be... You want people to make three times kind of deal. You want to make sure you've got that metric in there, right? Hey, rents are 750 and we're going to a thousand, but the neighborhood could only afford 800. Nobody's moving from the nicer neighborhood to the worser neighborhood to pay more rent at your place, no matter what you do. So you've got, so I look for those things to be realistic and rent bumps to be realistic. And then I love that we're in an inflation of 9%. And their expenses are going up 2% per year. Mm -hmm. How in the world are you living in a 9% world? You're putting your rents up 12%, but you're only putting your expenses up 2%. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, a lot of deals like that because that's what they got used to putting in there. Then they got, oh, we got these big rents before we had inflation, right? Now we have inflation. And so maybe you could put five and say, we're really going to watch the money and be very careful. And we think we can do a better job. Okay. I, I might buy that. That's mm -hmm. okay. But 2%, it just isn't enough. So I look at, is their whole plan realistic, right? right. I'm not like an underwriter guru. I'm a, I'm a gut feel guy. Are your explanations reasonable? And that was what I didn't know when I first bought my first deal that made no money. They were a deep value add. They told us it was a C plus property. It was a D plus property. I see. And they had $4,200 a door in CapEx and they needed like $8,200 a door in CapEx. And if I'd have known that now, I never would have invested. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so now let's talk about the people. Um, yeah. How You had mentioned some of it where you follow them, you get on the podcast, you want to see people who are authentic, who actually shares their struggle and not all, you know, all good. So some of those things, what else do you look for in, especially when you've never invested with them before? What else do you look for? Uh, so I look for people that know them and ask them, find the trend. Like they'll tell you the people that are going to say nice things about them, right? So I try to find the people that aren't going to say nice things about them, or at least going to say the truth about them. Oh, that's you know, good. So I like you, that. You can usually dig around and find out. And when people make comments, when, hey, did you invest in this deal? Would you mind take, taking some time just to talk with me? I'm thinking of investing with that person. So I've done a lot of that way, right? Because people post, hey, we just bought a property. We just sold the property. We did amazing. I'd like to talk to the investors and just get a little general idea. And then I ask other sponsors about them, especially when I see they were partners and now they're not. That's always fun. 
you can get them to actually talk to you. <laughs> because the reason they're not partners now is there was some sort of unalignment of values or, or they just, why, why didn't you connect with that person? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and you, I'd love to see them do 10 deals together, right? That makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And when partners struggle, a deal often struggles. Gotcha. Okay. So if let's say somebody you talk to, they've lost money on a deal with that operator. However, let's say it was five years ago uh, and and that operator seems to be doing pretty well now. Would you consider investing in in that operator's um, current deals? So I would, if the person I was talking to said, man, they communicated with us, they really mm. tried. We had some real serious issues and they were honest with us through the whole thing. And instead of doing a cash call, they put their own money up and things like that. So I've heard stories of operators, one operator, just they, they were also in charge of the CapEx for the company they own. And they just kept spending money through the pandemic and then did a cash call. So I'd never invest with somebody that did something like that. Mm. Right? They made about $300,000 in construction management fees I see. and then did a cash call. Now I'd be better to say, listen, man, I screwed up. I probably shouldn't have kept investing. I'm not taking my payment till we close on the deal. So we don't have to do a cash flow. That to me is an acceptable, right? Okay. I misjudged. I thought COVID was going to last for three. Who did, who thought COVID was going to last till now? I, I know. <laughs> I got yeah. like six people out with COVID right now that I'm talking yeah. to. And it's so whoever would have thought, right, man, I misjudged this, right? And so I'm going to personally take care of it. Then that's a good story. Even though maybe what they did wasn't all that smart, they understood it and they took the heat and made the correction. That's awesome. And can you, for those that don't know, what is a cash call? Cash call is when they say to the investors, we ran out of money and you need to put more money in. And if you don't put more money in, your share of ownership will be diluted. And it'll be all listed in the PPM what the rules are of a cash call, right? Mm -hmm. So it's often listed because again, if a project runs out of money, they go back to the investors and say, we ran out of money, we need more money. And you are obligated um, to pay that money and if you can't pay that money, you'll be your shares will be diluted. Gotcha. Okay. What else do you look for in in an operator? Yeah, especially a, a new one that you're considering in investing in. So again, do they think the same things I think? Are the things that I think important to them? Are we connected to the same groups of people? I want to invest in people that I think that my values are aligned. Right. I want to invest with people that I think they're trying to work really well with their property management company and they're trying to be good business people versus always screaming and hollering at the property mm-hmm. manager, putting unrealistic expectations. I, I, I'm involved with somebody that's gone through five property managers in three years. Well, wow. There's a problem. There, there yeah. can't be five bad property managers, right? That's a bad owner. And it's just what it is, right? And people that are difficult to deal with. And people, how they answer you. Things to me are, I invested in a deal and I asked what I thought was a very simple question. How are we doing year one compared to year one's performa? And the answer was, you can look it up in the PPM. Well, that's not a good answer. You you should be saying, here's what we projected. Here's where we are. Here's the difference. Here's why. That's what a good operator tells you. Even if it's bad news, here's the why and here's where we misunderstood and I want, again, honesty. I see. That's good. And do you prefer an operator who is vertically integrated? And so now they have in-house property management, in-house construction. Do you prefer that at all or depends? Not necessarily, no. I think managing yourself, there, there can be great things and there can be great inefficiencies. And if things get, if every layer is you, then you're only as good as you. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you hire great people, the people you hire are only as great as the person who hired them, right? Push them to the next level. So I like the mix of someone else coming in and some fresh ideas, especially property management companies that manage thousands of doors. They've got a wide range of experience and they may have a solution that they thought somebody. And again, if they're a good property management company and they're listening to their managers, some manager way over here could have come up with a solution 
that's perfect for my property that I never would have known because I don't know this manager. So I think there's, I think definitely think there's advantages in it. And I, I like that variety. It's almost right. like a check that's and good. balance, check and balance. Okay. And then, um, um, circling back again with the numbers, but looking at the interest rate and projecting out three, five years from now, what are some of the things you're looking for to say, okay, this operator is conservative. He's considering what the interest rate is going to be in three to five years or whenever they were planning yeah, to exit honest, that. Right now, I feel very lost. How high are, right now we're in this weird spot, right? Where you're <laughs> going to get a 5% loan and, and cap rate 6%. Right. Um, yeah, so I'll be honest, right now, my crystal ball is very foggy. I'm uh, still optimistic about the U.S. condition. Certainly very optimistic about Texas. Other parts of America may really suffer, but Texas in general, where I'm investing and doing things, is on fire. And so even if there is some sort of downturn or adjustment, we'll mm -hmm. be sheltered from a lot of the impact of that just purely because of what's happening, right? Texas is just, there's just such a supply and demand imbalance right. that a lot of bad things can happen. It will still be okay. Right. But I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm definitely nervous. Obviously you want to see them project the cap rate to be higher. You obviously want to see, Hey, we're at a, this percent loan and anybody who says three years from now, we're going to be less than this percent. Um, that, that worries me a lot, right? Because we just don't know, right? We hope we're not going to be at 7 8% loans, but we don't know. So my crystal ball is really foggy. So I'm actually happy I'm not looking at deals right now as much because it's just, you know. Yeah, so now let's switch, uh, switch gear a little bit and talk about the, you, now you're transitioning into doing more yeah. active side. You're now a GP. Um, and so what share with us your experience, what, you know, what made you decide to get onto the GP side and uh, what are some of your experiences so far? Yeah. So I decided to get on the GP side purely because I, I was always planning to, and then losing my job accelerated it. Um, and so I was definitely, it, it was something I planned to do. It just got accelerated. So I wasn't quite ready for it. And I was also came at it at a time when Texas was just so on fire, I couldn't win a deal. So mm -hmm. to be honest, that's how I ended up in so many passive. I mm -hmm. would sell some I of see. my stocks. So I had hard money for a, get a deal. And then mm -hmm. I wouldn't even get close to getting the deal. And I'd be sitting on this cash. And all of a sudden, a good investment from a friend of mine would come in my inbox. And I'll be all right. I'll move that money over and I'll get some more money when I get a deal. So that, that's how I got in, in balance. And then right now, raising money is a little tough because people are nervous. People are unsure. So their crystal balls are foggy, just like mine is. So that's making them less willing to just say, I'm in. It's taking a lot more hand-holding. And, and I wouldn't consider myself a professional raiser yet by any scope of the imagination. I've got a long way to go to get there. I know I'll get there because I've been super active in connecting with people. Right. I just got to, I got to get that next link closed, but it's definitely interesting. And the first two deals I got on, I joined somebody else's deal. So it was really, they did all the work and I came in the end and I'm going to take a small asset management position because I'm closer to the asset, which is great because I'll get to, I'll get to learn. They own some assets already. So they've already mm -hmm. got kind of a business plan in place. And so I'll get to learn a lot in theory, assisting people that have done it more than I have. And mm -hmm. then my most current one, I am active part of it. So it was the first time I was doing due diligence for myself. I've done it at other people just to, to educate myself, but you pay a lot more attention when you're going to end up being the owner than when you're, when somebody else is going to end up being the owner. So, and then the amount of paperwork, goodness gracious, man alive. And I hate paperwork. Man, there's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> and so a lot of people say, oh, these GPs, they got it easy. Man, it's hard work. That's great. Okay. So yeah, GP is definitely not for everybody, <laughs> right? The yeah. And you got to love what you're doing, right? And you got to be prepared to work. That's one thing that does worry me a lot about these mentor programs, right? They teach you how easy it is. You do it, you hire a property manager and you sit on the beach drinking drinks and retire. It's not that. 
It's, it is. And that's another thing I'll be honest that I've learned. I will not now invest in a deal that doesn't have an asset manager that's fairly close and it's their full-time job because I want somebody when there's something going on in the property that can give it a hundred percent of their focus, right? Not try to answer the phone and do the work on their lunch break or Mm -hmm. have to ask for an afternoon off from work to go do something to meet a contractor. Um, I want to invest in people that have somebody full-time in market dedicated to taking care of my investment. That was something I missed earlier. And it was something I missed earlier in some of my investments. I didn't push for it hard, but right. something I'm very aware that's super important that this is somebody's full-time job. It's not They're not trying to do it and still do a 40-hour work week and do it on lunch break and weekends. You know, right. And lunch break and weekends. Gotcha. At least on the active side, right? On the asset management side, fundraisers or... Other, but the people that are actually managing the asset. I understand. And so, as a GP, what type of properties are you looking for? Are you sourcing uh, right now? Yeah, so I've decided to. So, I've been doing 48 doors and above and under 100. So, 48 to stay out of the little guy's way and mm-hmm. under 100 to stay out of the big guy's way. And it's, I'm getting a little more activity in that niche, right? And because I, I want to stay away from the guys that are looking for their first 12 or 20 or 24 plus, and I'm trying to move on, but right. it's, so I've tried to stay in that little niche and it's been, I've been getting a lot closer on deals and I think it's, and it's an okay niche because it's, I'd still rather be a hundred and above, uh, but it's, you just got to get a deal. You, you can still make it work. Okay. With all of your experience as an LP, uh, it's interesting to me that you're having challenges to raise money. I figure by now you would know all of the objection handlers uh, and like all the different ways you would uh, y- you'd be able to explain to a-, a passive investor why your deal makes sense. And especially you as a professional passive investor, if it makes sense for you, it should also make sense for the investors that you're raising money from. So... I I too am surprised. Now, part of it was I didn't do, I was building a network with people that are doing what I was doing. And that was a big mistake. And when I left iFly, most of the people were living paycheck to paycheck. There were no executives. So anybody looking to make this switch or looking to move on, leverage your corporate connections before you leave. Mm -hmm. Leverage build up your database with people that you know from work and you know from your other social things. I went from this little strange isolated world and then I networked. And when I look at my database, everybody else on my database is also raising money for deals, right? They're not. And so I made the mistake not to correct, not to focus on people that were passive investors and chasing. Mm. I chased other people hoping to do a deal with them. So it was a huge mistake on my part. And I'm working really hard to correct that now. And that's why I'm like on so many passive investor panels and trying to speak more about passive investing with people. And I know I'll get it because uh, <laughs> I've laid a good foundation. I just got to make the connections a little better. That makes a lot of sense for sure. And, and better systems. Just to give you an idea how bad it was. The first time I raised money, I didn't have an active campaign or anything. And I'm not very techy. I cut and paste 400 individual emails and sent them. I literally had a Word doc and I cut the copy over. I cut the subject line over. I copied the person's address. I wrote, Dear Tim, it was ridiculously inefficient, right? Because I just, I hadn't set up a system. Mm-hmm. And now I'm building this system. And now I've started to build a funnel to reach out to people in different different realms, more in the passive investor realm, and then have them come and then get on my database. So that was a hard lesson to learn because I really thought, oh, I know everybody. I sh- this should be no problem. And and, and uh, I underestimated that I needed the amount of work that it took to get there. Yeah. Can you share on average how much uh, you invested per deal of all the different... Yeah, I mean- so it was very different. So Several of the deals, I actually went in for half of the minimum. It was because I wanted to invest in the deal, but I didn't have enough cash. 
So some of the deals I'm only in for 25,000 instead of 50, for example. So even okay. though it sounds impressive, I'm not that wealthy. And they were the reason I were able to easily say yes to me because I am a, an accredited investor. So for those that don't know on a 506B, you're only limited to 35 sophisticated. So I didn't mess up their numbers. And they all said to me, and again, I've had it where I've been raising money and, and when unaccredited investors have done that, I've had to tell them, hey, listen, if we hit the 35 number, we're going to have to kick you out if somebody's going to be able to invest the minimum. Um, so I've been fortunate to do that on a couple of deals. And some of it was just, hey, I only got 28,000 in my IRA account. It'll take me a while to get to a 50. Are you willing to take 25? And so that's what happened a couple of times. Say, hey, I want to be in the deal, but this is all I have. Gotcha. Um, and then there's a couple of deals. I've got 100,000 in, um, a couple of 75. Average is 50, though. The deals, man, I'm at the minimum of 50. Gotcha. Okay. And then in t- on the GP side, do you have a goal of how much money or how, how much asset under management that you're looking to acquire? Yes. Yeah, so $5,000 in five years. Okay. And th- that's my dream number, $5,000 in five years. And doors is a little bit fooling because you can have a lot of class C doors and that's not much money. And you can have a lot of class A doors and 5,000 doors and class A is a lot of money. So I don't look at it. Oh, I'm going to have 500 million or whatever. I just did it doors. Gotcha. Okay. That's great. And so for the listeners who are considering getting into passive investing, but haven't yet done one and they're still a little fightful, a little, yeah, a little fearful. What, what would have, you know, what advice do you have for them? So if you've decided that you want to do it, you need to just do it, right? You're going to be frozen with analysis paralysis. And I was a bit at the beginning and then I just did it. And again, don't go off uneducated or do whatever, but you're going to just have to get out of this fear People somehow think when their money's in the stock market, they have some sort of level of control over it. They don't. When it's in their 401k, they don't. They have no control. At least with this, you have the control to invest with who you want to give it to. So it's a person. It's an asset. So you can, I can research Tim and learn all there is to know about Tim. I can research his property, his market, his city. If I live in Texas and you're going to do a deal in Houston, I can drive there and look at it. I can look at your mm-hmm. comps. Can I go look at Apple or Amazon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people don't get that, that they're mm-hmm. actually, even though they're not in control, they've got a lot more control because they decide who. And mm-hmm. then also external circumstances don't normally affect it, right? All mm-hmm. of a sudden, the stock market crashes 10%. There's, those things are not necessarily happening in the real estate market, right? Real estate is appreciation over time. It's steady. Mm-hmm. It's cons- yes, we've had some crashes where people have done crazy things like the mortgage meltdown and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, put more protections in that. So, but people quite don't get the satisfaction of what they're getting. Okay. And would you recommend that they focus on one asset class? And so get, get started in that. I definitely think you need just you need to pick one. I've picked multifamily too, just to be example. So on my active, I picked multifamily, and the reason I picked multifamily is I know it, I understand it, and people always need a place to live. People don't always need a retail center. People don't always need a hotel. People don't always need a storage unit. And I picked that asset class too because it's just such a high demand right now. There's, yeah. if you can't find a mini storage in your neighborhood, you buy a shed and put your junk in your own shed. But if you <laughs> got to find a place to live and you'd like to find a place to live near where you work. And so it's, it's a very high demand thing. And it also comes with some of the best tax benefits. It comes with some of the best financing benefits. There are a lot of things that make multifamily I'm going to call it the the sweetheart of commercial investing. There are just so many things about it that make it the best way. Now, I have done other asset classes and we didn't talk too much about it. And the reason I did it was just for a little bit of diversification, right? So I'm very Texas centric. I wanted to get at least a storage investment 
I wanted to get something in the Carolinas. It's near Charlotte where my brother lives. So it's now a business trip to visit my brother. There's lots of factors why. So I wanted to get into storage. I want so all the stars aligned. And so I decided to do it and how much I'll learn about it. And am I excited about storing people's junk? No. Am I mm -hmm. excited about making apartments better? And my why is to have people say, come over to my home, not my apartment. If I could create a community that people said, come to my home, oh, I, I died and gone to heaven. Right? That's awesome. You know, I want people to feel like, like their apartment is their home. I want the people to work there to feel empowered and that they can create that environment. And then when you do those two things, investors make money and they can go do their wives. I can't say, I want to have the best place for your junk. That's my why, right? It's just not a fulfilling why. Right. I understand that it makes money. I understand it's a great business. I understand it's very profitable, but it just, it doesn't excite me that I'm making the world a better place where buying an apartment, improving it. I did due diligence this week. And there's some people in there saying their air conditioner has been fixed in a few months. And I hope to go there and fix their air conditioners and mm. give them a better place to live and care about where they live and right. fix the deferred maintenance things that aren't there. And that walking that property after I do that and having tenants feel like it's their home, uh, it'll just be, there's big rewards in that. And I think even passive investors can feel like there's, they're helping and a crisis in America, which is housing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're going to be wrapping up this, this interview here. Uh, I do have two more questions for you. One yeah. is, one is if you can go back to your younger self, or if you can share words of wisdom to a teenage uh, kid, what That's would you easy. share? <laughs> yeah. Don't wait to buy real estate and wait. Mm. If I had started this when I was in my twenties, life would be so much different. When I look back, I moved from Canada to America and I was going to buy a place and do an Airbnb and Airbnb was just starting out. And I said, man, $300,000 for this place. I don't know if I can afford it. The same place is worth $900,000. Wow. <laughs> no, it's, but I didn't, right? This is uh, 25 years ago and mm -hmm. I didn't. And if I had of, my life would be that much different, right? Because now mm -hmm. I would in theory own probably three Airbnbs or five Airbnbs in the area and be running this successful business and building wealth for my daughter who's still in Canada and just buy real estate and wait, don't wait to buy real estate. And so if you're young and you can just get started, try to find a single house or a duplex and house hack it, right? Go look at the Burr method on bigger pockets and just start grinding it out earlier, right? Rent rooms to your roommates and then Go from a single house to a duplex, to a quad, to a triplex, mm -hmm. to a sixplex, to a tenplex. Just keep jumping that and you'll be shocked. You'll be like 45 years old and financially independent. I'm 60 something years old and barely financially independent because I started late. And if I had started early, I'd just life would read books like Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect, right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. Love that book. Just reinvest an amazing book keep reinvesting your money it's staggering what can happen when you get that compound effect of your money and warren buffett always says if you don't have if you don't have a second way to make in income you'll work till the day you die i can't i should remember i said it a little better but it's a great quote that's awesome love that all right so last but not least if people want to reach out to you connect with you where should they go yeah, so LinkedIn, I'm very active. So K Trevor Thompson, Facebook, very active, K Trevor Thompson. Sometimes you got to nudge me and say, you saw me on Tim's podcast because I get a lot of friend invites and I'm careful because I get a lot of people trying to sell me stuff. And yeah. if, you've got, if you've got Bitcoin anywhere in your thing, I'm not going to, because I don't want to, that's a crazy world. And then my website is Niagara, because I'm from Niagara Falls, dash investments.com. And my email is my initials, ktt at niagarainvestments.com. And you'll find I'm very approachable. Reach out, set up a time to talk. I love to talk to people about real estate. It's, I, I had no idea I'd be this passionate about it. It's a, it's a great way to end my career in the world. And I, I didn't think I'd find something, but I love it. 
I love it. And you loving real estate definitely show your level of candidness and like just raw to share your challenges on your deals and your generosity to, to open up. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I'm sure that the listeners going to get huge, great value out of the, this interview. And I definitely Thank encourage, you. Uh, yeah, definitely encourage the listeners to reach out to you, invest with you, do deals with you at, at a minimum, build it, start building that relationship with you. Yeah, so thank you so much. Trevor. Real estate is a team sport. Go build a relationship with somebody. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you.